Welcome back to the Golden Age of Optimism. My name is John Charles Harmon. I'm an author and a musician. Chill in Brazil is my musician's name on all music platforms. We're continuing. I am reading my books into audio form using podcast. Let me remind you that the books are in chronological order, so there'll be episode one, two, three, four, five, six, so on. Right now, we're continuing with my science fiction book, Akhtal and the Five Planets of Han. Chapter 9, Circles of Desires, Venice, California, 15 years later. It was the end of June, and the summer heat was coming on like a blast furnace. The sky was a deep blue, and there were no clouds anywhere to be seen. Normally, this time of year in Venice, the weather is a bit overcast in the mornings, and often the sun did not burn through the haze until well afternoon, but to not today. The beach was packed with people. Ernie Lopez, Mark Price, and George Kasaki were no longer school age, but they were young at heart, good friends for many years, all loved the ocean, and could not resist watching the bikini-clad girls at the beach. The three of them had not been together since last winter, so what better place to get together and hang out? Three of them were from different races and from different cultural backgrounds, but they had a lot more in common than mere social differences, which in reality made little difference to them, having all grown up in Southern California. They had become close friends from high school and from the hot summers they spent at the beach with their friends. After high school, Ernie was in the Marines, while George and Mark did everything they could to avoid the military. George avoided the draft because his vision was too poor. Mark was just somehow missed in the draft process altogether. Mark told people his name was just too common and someone must have made a bureaucratic error. There really was no logical explanation as to why he was not drafted. When Ernie returned from Vietnam, the three of them met on occasion, but the friendships had seemed to wane. Mark and George were still fairly close friends, and they sometimes talked about how Ernie had changed since his tours of duty in Vietnam. But it was not really much of a topic because they still loved him as a good friend. Ernie was always super loyal and the first one to stand up for his friends in any conflict. Recently, Ernie's wife, Maria, had called Mark because she was convinced that Ernie was going to lose his job because of his drinking problem. Mark heard her out, and even though he was not the type to want to intervene in anyone's problems, he promised her that he would have a talk with Ernie. Mark figured it would be best to have George with him because two would be better than one, so that is why they were all meeting at the beach. Of course, as fate would have it, George brought along a six-pack of beer with him, and that was surely not going to make the talk session any easier, but hey, what the heck, it was a really hot day, and Mark was more than happy to have a beer himself. They sat around on their towels, 
went swimming, talked about the various bikini-clad girls sauntering along the water, and then when George and Mark went back into the water, Ernie snuck off to the store to get another six-pack of beer. Ernie finished half of the second six-pack, and the day was wearing on, so Mark decided he needed to at least make an attempt at talking to to Ernie about what he was supposed to talk to him about. Ernie, you know, it's only 4 p.m. Don't you think you should go easy on the beer? Mark was sitting on his towel and turned to look at Ernie directly in his eyes when he spoke to him. Look, Ernie, I'm going to be honest. Your wife called me and she is worried that you may lose your job because you have been drinking too much. Mark wondered if he had taken the right approach. But he was direct and he thought that was the best thing to do. Maybe he thought after he said that he would only cause more problems between Ernie and his wife, but he didn't really know. Ernie laughed like only Ernie could laugh. It was one of those big-bellied laughs that meant no matter what you said to him, he was going to find a way to turn the whole thing around into something humorous. Mark did not like the fact that Ernie was laughing at what he said. Mark was being serious in his own way, and he wanted his friend to realize that, look, Ernie, this is not a joke. I mean, seriously. I don't care if you think if you drink 24 hours a day, hey, it's your life. I'm telling you because your wife asked me to tell you, and she must be concerned if she asked me to tell you. So try at least to look at the situation in some type of serious manner. Ernie was just smiling now and staring at his beer, which he decided to take another sip of. Mark took that as a sign of Ernie not being serious at all, and it sort of pissed him off. Okay, look, we have been friends for a long time, Ernie, and I'm only telling this because your wife asked me to. If I had anything I would talk to you about, it would be about Vietnam. You know that, right? You know we have never brought it up, and mainly because you don't want to talk about it. But seriously... What the hell happened there? George and I know something happened because you have changed. And if the drinking too much is part of that, then maybe it's time you started telling us about what happened there in Vietnam. Mark thought to himself, oh boy, now I really opened up a can of worms. Ernie looked at Mark for a long time, longer than George or Mark were accustomed to. Ernie sort of shifted on his towel and stared out to sea. He then took a deep breath. His face changed and became very relaxed. For a brief moment, both George and Mark saw Ernie as they'd seen him in high school. His scowl had dissipated. He took another deep breath, and he had that boyish sense of adventure and curiosity that everyone that knew him loved him for, even though nowadays it only came in brief flashes and mainly with his two sons. Ernie stood up and took another deep breath. Come on, guys, let's take a walk down to the beach, and I will tell you about Vietnam. Then Ernie darted full speed towards the ocean and the waves, not more than 50 yards away. George and Mark followed him. Ernie dived into the surf and swam out past the breakwater, with the others following They grouped together and dog paddled out in the water. At first, Ernie fought back some tears, And then he sidetracked with tales of prostitutes, funny soldier incidents, but always going back to a killing. He then swam back into the shore and started to walk down the beach. 
At one point he stopped and he looked at his two high school friends. Okay, look guys, I have told you a lot of stuff and I have told you how I met my wife in Japan. I'm going to ease off the drinking. I love her, but you know how it goes when you have been with someone for a long time. Mark nodded. He had been through enough women that he understood. George raised his eyebrows because he had not been with many women, nor had he ever been married. He was always a bit jealous that he had been not raised a family, but he understood why in his own way. His strict Japanese upbringing was different, and with his thick glasses, he knew there weren't too many women that found him attractive. Okay, look, guys, I have never told this to anyone. George thought to himself, maybe he's going to say he's gay. George, wake up. Ernie slapped George in the chest like he had done years ago when they were close friends in high school. Ernie had protected George, and George had helped Ernie with schoolwork. It was the perfect relationship because George lived two houses down from Ernie in the worst gang-infected part of Venice. At that time, the gangs were African-American, and George's family was the only Japanese family Ernie was one of the few Mexican families. Both had a number of siblings, so the families became very friendly, actually as a form of protecting themselves from the gangs. It was survival of the fittest at the fundamental core. All right, this is it. I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I saw a flying saucer when that mountain blew apart. I swear to God, I really did. It was as clear as day. Now, I have thought over and over again, and I've kept up on all of the military technology over the years, and there is absolutely nothing that would compare to what I saw. I don't tell anyone, mainly because I was in the military, and I don't ever want anyone snooping around here or asking me questions. I don't want either one of you to say anything to anyone ever. Is that clear? George and Mark were not sure what to think. He could just be telling them a crock of baloney because he says he's going to ease off his drinking. On the other hand, he seemed extremely serious. Mark, being the witty one, chirped in. So, Ernie, why did it take you so long to tell us? Here we are, your best friends, and you never said anything. Look, I can understand the somewhat guilt part about killing two guys working for the CIA or the Aussies or double agents, whatever they were, but I think I would have done the same thing. I mean, lots of people say they've seen flying saucers. Come on. I mean, hey, George told me he saw one once, but he had been eating some mushrooms or something. I don't really know. Arnie looked back and forth between the two of them with a puzzled look on his face. In his mind, he thought he had just explained everything to them, but it seemed the two of them were too dense to understand it wasn't the flying saucer. It wasn't any guilt over the killings he made. It wasn't any issue with his drinking or his wife. Okay, guys, let's walk back now and sit down. We can talk some more there. Ernie was back to his frown, his discerned look, the Ernie that had changed since he had returned from Vietnam. George and Mark followed along, not talking, lagging behind like stray dogs in a pack. It did not take long to reach the towels. Ernie handed out beers to everyone. They sat in sort of a semicircle with Ernie in the center, looking out at the water. Ernie sipped his beer and enjoyed the view of the ocean. 
he thought how good it was to be back at the beach. This was the first time he'd come all summer. George and Mark did the same. Okay, listen, guys. I want to tell you this only one time so that you understand and get it. I only have one thing bothering me right now. You see, unlike the two of you morons, I keep my life pretty well together. What bothers me is that I didn't is what bothers me is that I did on that mission for the military intelligence and I know for a fact that they have kept an eye on me ever since. So I behave. I mind my ways. The system is much bigger than it was back then. Before I left Japan, an officer came up to me and told me directly that it would always be in my best interest to keep my mouth shut about the Cambodian agents and anything else. When I came home from Japan, they watched or visited me in certain ways, and they still do until now, sometimes more frequent and sometimes less frequent. It is disturbing because I don't know anything. I think they just check on me because I'm in the system and it's their job now and then. I've thought of moving after my kids are grown to somewhere remote just for the peace. So I'm trusting the two of you will just keep your mouth shut about this forever. Both Mark and George nodded their heads in agreement as they realized the seriousness of Ernie's conviction, whether it was real or not. Ernie shifted his position on the sand and looked around him. He noticed something and lowered his voice. Look very slowly to the right, about 50 yards from the lifeguard station. Mark and George turned their heads to look slowly in that direction. Okay, okay, now look back at me, Ernie said. It is sort of getting later in the afternoon here now, and that guy with the green hat that looks like a tourist has been there all day. He has watched me with his friends on a variety of occasions over the past few years. I would say maybe six or eight times. I don't count, and I don't really care. It's just annoying. I confronted others in the past and realized that it was worthless, so I just don't let it bother me but he's been watching us. Mark rolled over on his side so he could get a better view of the guy. The man had a beach chair and a small cooler. He was wearing sunglasses and some headphones like he was listening to a radio. He looked somewhat familiar to Mark, but it was hard to place him. Mark tried to think, then it hit him. Mark looked at Ernie and raised his eyebrows and acted like he wanted to say something, but instead, he let out a soft laugh and shook his head. Next, Mark started to get up, and both George and Ernie grabbed him by his ankles. Mark was chuckling as they pulled him down. Look, I'm going over there to pay a visit to your so-called military intelligence man. So, when I get up the next time, do not grab my ankles, guys. Mark flashed his eyes with anger. Only George and Ernie knew was there. Normally, Mark was very much in control of all situations, as they both knew. He liked to think of himself as some sort of, quote, ninja, unquote. They also knew he had some boring Bureau of Land Management job. Listen, I'm just going to have a short talk with him. Nothing important. When I come back here, I will tell you both, both of you everything, just like Ronnie told us everything. 
Mark let out a little laugh again, but kept focused on his task. George and Ernie looked at Mark, and they really didn't know what to think. Ernie could care less. It wasn't him doing something stupid, but it wasn't, he wasn't going to stick around, so he nudged George, and they started putting their stuff together to leave. Mark got up and walked very casually in the general direction of the man in the green hat. The guy looked like a typical tourist, but what neither George nor Ernie knew was that Mark was someone that not even he knew who he was. Where the rage for justice in him came from, no one was sure. His job for the Bureau of Land Management was his cover for his work with the CIA. Mark was what they considered a, quote, rogue agent, unquote. During his college at USC, he needed a job, so he answered an odd ad in a local paper that turned out to be a cover for a CIA operation trying to root out newer Russian immigrants that could turn to agents The whole thing was a total fluke, but Mark started talking during the interview. Mark talked a lot when he was nervous, so when the man interviewing him asked directly if he was associated with any Russians, Mark spewed off about the Russian in the building next to his. He was not that good of friends with them, but at the same time, he was polite and cordial. That was was Mark's nature. Mark was a very compassionate guy, and he, he believed in America. He was smart and raised in a normal middle-class family. The agent was able to coax out of Mark the fact that there were always a lot of different people coming and going in this building next door where the Russians live, which led the agent to believe it may may be a safe house of some sort. After a week of watching the building, they knew it was. A hotshot new regional manager came up with a great scheme to hire this USC student, Mark, He explained the job would be part-time under the Bureau of Land Management. He also told Mark that the CIA would offer to hire him after college with a generous salary if he did a good job. Mark accepted. Keep the stuff quiet. Took Russian classes in college. Watched the building next to him and enjoyed his life as a college student. Nothing dramatic happened. He had some of the hottest girlfriends. And then when college ended, Mark took the job with the CIA and told no one except his father. That was the rule. It turned out that only after two years, Mark became out of control. The CIA had to consider him rogue. The first incident was the day after he had moved out of his apartment building next to the Russians and into a condo a few miles away in the Marina del Rey. Mark had returned to his now empty apartment the day after he moved out because he was going to patch the holes where he had pictures hanging and saw two Russian agents he knew in his apartment. Within seconds, Mark had seriously hurt each one. No, not to the point of death, but enough blows with the tools he had to conflict some serious damage. His bosses had to cover up the incident with the local police and the Skulking agents disappeared in a matter of hours. Other incidents happened along the years, but Mark always performed his job well. He wanted all the tools of the trade, but his bosses had to take away the psychotropic drugs because Mark was, quote, losing, unquote, some of them. Mark understood, so he checked his behaviors. He then went years without any incidents. 
but that was going to change right now. As soon as Mark recognized the man, he knew what he had to do. He would surely solve his friend's mystery. That man was Felix, and not some military intelligence guy. Felix was a Russian operative, a low-level one at that, and the CIA was not too sure what exactly he did because he most of the time acted like some Russian playboy running around L.A. spending his daddy's money at clubs and with girls. He had little influence, and even the other more sophisticated operatives sort of avoided him. He was basically an off-the-radar son of some rich retired operative. Mark wasn't sure Felix would recognize him. Mark knew his rogue status kept him somewhat off the Russian radar. It was a game, and it was not always played conforming to any rules. So often things just happened. Mark had quit smoking long ago, but the one thing he did show to his friends was a cigarette pack he carried that was actually a taser stun gun. He told his friends it was government-issued and that he could not get one for any of them. Instead, he directed them to a commercial company that made one within the legal settings, of which the one he had was not. Felix turned and saw Mark now approaching him. He was going to stand, but decided not to look threatening. Hey, Felix, do you know who I am? Mark said in a short, sort of diverting, humorous way. Felix did not like the fact this person knew his name, but now he was curious. He stayed, stared at Mark, trying to place him, but his mind was blank. Felix, look, I know you are Russian. My dad knew your dad. Then Mark said a few words in Russian, and that put Felix more at ease. Mark sort of laughed and joked about how Russians didn't like going to the beach alone. He asked, where are the girls? Felix was perplexed, but not scared. He knew this guy had been with Ernie, and he also knew Ernie was some ignorant Mexican that his father had asked him to keep track of now and again. This guy was obviously some idiot also, except that he spoke a little bit of Russian and said his dad knew his dad. Maybe his dad was checking up on him. He didn't really know. Now he was a little worried, though, and something wasn't right. Look, my name is Mark. Trust me, after today, you will remember my name. Mark pulled the package of cigarettes out of his pocket and took one out. Do you have a light, Felix? Mark loved the moment. He thrived for moments like these. He was a fun and free person. He was ready to die for his country, but... Even more, he was ready to fight for any of his friends that felt the same. He was the, quote, law, unquote, as far as he was concerned. But at the same time, he appeared as the most polite and helpful person you would ever meet. Mark actually loved flowers. Before Felix knew what happened, Mark was in back of him and pinned Felix's hands to the sides of the beach chair. Next, Mark pressed the bottom of his cigar cigarette case to the side of Felix's neck, and it let off a mild shock. Felix tried to struggle. What, what, what the heck are you doing? He screamed out. Shut up, asshole. Don't move and keep your mouth shut, or I'm going to give you the jolt of your life, Mark replied calmly. Felix struggled a little, thinking that there was no way this guy could get the jump on him like 
like this slid is, so Mark slid his index finger to the lever on the cigarette case and turned it up the volume. So the taser started jolting Felix a little bit more. This time Felix didn't scream, but instead went a little bit limp with a horrible, painful look on his face. Felix stopped moving and sat perfectly still. He realized this guy was a professional. Look, you little scum, I do not like you. If you move again, I will turn up the juice and you will get the thrill of your life. I know all the lifeguards and the closest one is not too close, so keep quiet. Worse is the fact that you have actually no idea who I am. So let's just say you would not be the first person I have killed just because I felt it was the best for the situation at hand. I want you to start answering questions, and I want short, fast answers. Is that clear? Felix nodded his head. He was scared. I know who you are and who you work for. Mark then zapped him just for the fun of it, and Felix could feel the warm urine as he released his bladder into a pool on his already hot beach chair. Mark knew Felix was primed now. Why have you been following Ernie Lopez? Felix was worried, but he thought maybe this was just some local nutty friend of Ernie's. He wasn't really sure. Felix had only been on the job for a few years, and he had never seen Ernie with this guy. Felix didn't think it mattered much anyway because he really didn't know that much. Okay, okay, wait, don't, don't shock me again. Felix pretended to be hurt worse than he was, but he surely did not want any more shocks. I, I, I don't know that much. All I know is that my uncle hired me to watch him. I don't know why. Really, he, he only told me that it had something to do with Vietnam. So I checked up on him once in a while. I sometimes record his conversations and give the information to my uncle. Mark turned, turned up the volume a little bit, and the voltage made Felix scream. So Mark let go and eased off on Felix's arms and slammed his massive hand over his lips to shut him up. Felix could taste the salty blood as his lips were ripped over his teeth. Mark is what we call a savant. And to go along with his incredible intelligence, for some reason, he had a wild side to him that took his violence off into what some would consider a dark level. His CIA handlers were comfortable with him as long as he kept in line with the missions. Fortunately, there were not too many missions, and Mark's superiors learned quickly that Mark was only useful at home in the USA. When they had sent him to Russia, things got out of control way too fast. Mark's brain worked much faster than most, and his skills at reading people were incredible. He could tell right away that Felix was not going to give up any information that he had, and most likely he didn't have that much information anyway. Felix was a goofball playboy. He wanted to be an agent. He was probably living off his rich uncle that was most likely the agent or was related to one of Ernie's um, people that had gotten assassinated in Vietnam. The whole thing was small, stupid crap that had little to do with the problems of humanity as far as Mark was concerned. Okay, stop, please. Now Mark could tell his idea of Felix was correct. A normal KGB agent would not give in this easy. I've, I've never seen any, him contact any other agents. I've never seen him do anything wrong. He just goes to his, to his army reserve meeting sometimes. 
I'm not exactly sure why I watch them. The whole job seems stupid to me, but I get my check every month. I'm not KGB, or otherwise I wouldn't be watching this ignorant Mexican. I don't, I don't. The last line was too much for Mark, and his brain, and his brain snapped. No one calls his friend an ignorant Mexican. He thought the adrenaline was already flowing too fast, and Felix had made a foolish mistake. Mark was not a poor man. In fact, he was fairly wealthy. He did it on his own, and as long as he worked with the CIA, it was, it was all good. Mark was intolerant of racism and prejudice. He could deal with any intellectual debate on a non-emotional level, but emotional gut-level racism was just intolerable as far as he was concerned. Every stupid religion none that he believed, had various aspects of intolerance in them. On a systematic level, it went beyond a moral sin to a mortal sin in some cases. So in Mark's mind, lessons must be taught. He knew his part in changing humanity was slim in that he was a realist, but in action, he pursued it. It was his American duty, he believed. He could tell his reactions to injustice was aging faster than he wanted to, and he knew he had to make a change. Maybe now was the time to do it, he thought to himself. As a savant, Mark thought at lightning speed. His emotions and intellect were wound together like a tightly woven rope. His pursuit of justice was ingrained in him and thought at lightning speed as to what his future would be like, and, and then he pursued it with a passion. He felt guilt from his Methodist indoctrination as a youth. Now his life almost seemed to just be a way of releasing the pressure from not being able to make the world see the injustices that were rampant everywhere. The golden recover never, recovery never happened this time. He knew he had been a warrior for peace, but now he was older and it seemed his time was limited. It was hard to accept that fact, but... At this exact moment, he decided he would. It was enough for Mark. He did not enjoy his friend being called a stupid Mexican. And it was obvious he would have to go elsewhere to get more information. He was getting nothing out of this guy. Now it was late in the afternoon. Some clouds had drifted in, and a majority of the beachgoers had left. Ernie and George were sitting with gear, their gear, their beach gear, in hand, ready to leave at any moment's notice. Mark flashed a glance at them, and then nodded as him for them to start walking. So they did. Mark cranked up the voltage and shocked Felix. He collapsed to the ground, foaming at the mouth. George and Ernie looked back and then ran from the beach. Mark walked casually and met them at the car. Mark, you idiot! They hurriedly were throwing their gear in the car. Ernie was livid. Are you out of your mind? Did you kill that man? Is he some military intelligence? If he is, I'm dead. What the hell is wrong with you? Mark felt calm and focused now, at least compared to a few minutes before. He knew at this point there was no other choice but for him to be calm. He adeptly put his gear away, ignored Ernie, got in the car, and started driving a circuitous route that only he knew to somewhere 
Mark reassured Ernie over and over again that Felix would be fine and just wake up with a bad headache in an hour or so. Ernie was still upset and did not like the situation. Why would Mark screw up so badly and do something so stupid, he thought to himself. Was he just that much out of control or was he being protected of him? He didn't really know. It didn't matter now because the damage was done and the consequences would have to be paid. It sucked big time. When they hit the freeway, Mark cranked up the stereo and let out a wild yelp. After, he grinned at Ernie. He then answered all of Ernie's questions. Mark realized it was time to admit to his friends his work with the CIA. Why not? Both Ernie and George were speechless. Mark went on to tell him about Felix. He said Felix was a semi-loser KGB sent by the Russian guy that you, my friend, were sent to exterminate in Vietnam. Or by those double agents, I tell you, to me, it makes little sense because if someone wanted revenge, it would have happened a long time ago. You are obviously not some advanced officer. You are in the reserves and you have a normal job. The only relation I can see is the blowing up of the mountain. If that is the reason, then someone really cares about what is going on in that mountain and they think you know something or are somehow involved. Of course, another conclusion is that the uncle is some semi-senile man and has an obsession just for revenge but has no balls to carry it out. It's all good either way, actually. Everything seems to be working out just fine. I'm, I'm going to plan together and I want to bring you in on it. I can guarantee your peace of mind and a cool place for you and your sons to live. I will take care of everything, Mark said. Ernie hit him in the arm. What are you saying? This car could be bugged. I think you are nuts and just listening to you ramble on is exhausting to me. Just drive me home. Chill, Ernie. I told you. I work for the CIA. I am pretty independent, and I have some technology that would just blow your mind. Somehow, we will get to the bottom of this, and in the meantime, maybe we can have the life we dreamed of as teenagers back in high school, Mark replied. George was beside himself because there was just too much going on, and he didn't like it. George worked for FedEx and had a good career job. Now his two best friends were playing some kind of cloak and dagger spy games. Yeah, right, like Mark worked for the CIA, sure. That was just way too much to believe or comprehend. Flying saucers, Russian agents, and his friend Ernie whacked out from the traumatic stress syndrome. Everyone knew that he'd been to Vietnam and he had some mental disorder. So, so you guys are telling me now this car may be bugged by the CIA or Russians? Why the heck are we even talking? Mark, I just think you have gone nuts. That's what George told them. Mark waited a few seconds to respond. He had known George for a long time, and he really did not like being called nuts. Okay, cool. I can understand both of your fears, Mark said. It's true. I do work for the CIA, so just relax. I can tell you more later on. Right now, I think the best thing for us to do would be to head over to the Santa Monica Airport. I will take you both for a ride in my new airplane. You guys would be up for that, right? I recently got my, my, uh, <clears throat> the right to fly at night. Mark said, 
that as he sped up and turned off the freeway. Ernie and George looked at each other and threw their hands up in the air like they really didn't care anymore. Then they just both nodded in agreement. Okay, why not? It was a fast but silent ride. It was a normal Saturday afternoon, approaching evening, and the adventure was just getting started. The twisted intangibles that seemed to always randomly occur now met at a point, a single point in time. Once at the airport, Ernie had to call his wife and tell her they would be late because of going for a ride in Mark's new plane. She was fine with it. Both Ernie and George were anxious to push Mark on what happened at the beach, but at this point, they could sense from his behavior that maybe now was not the best time to get into too many details. Once in the air, Mark gave everyone headphones. He spoke in a serious tone about the incident at the beach. He told them that he felt that he was getting old and that he really wanted to get out of his duties with the CIA. Ernie was confused and taken back by the claim of a KGB agent. It all seemed just too bizarre. What did any of it mean? Nothing, nothing. It meant nothing. Same old crap, same old life. Ernie zoned out of the conversation for a while and stared out the window at the city lights below. At least he was riding in a cool airplane, he thought to himself. Mark reemphasized his points. Look, the reality is he did not want to tell me anything, so I neutralized his sorry ass for a while. That's all, Mark said. George was ready to jump out of the plane. He started in a rant about how the aliens wanted him because he had seen it in a dream. Look, guys, this is for real, and someone's watching Ernie because he saw a flying saucer, George said. The rest of the airplane ride centered on crazy ideas, speculations, suppositions, but all with one theme in common. None of them had a clue what was going on. Mark landed and sort of sped up and skidded into the hangar. They got out of the plane and... The random conversation continued with no one caring if anyone was bugging the heck out of them or not. They continued to jabber on and laugh just as good friends will. After an hour or so, Felix staggered into his apartment complex. He had a massive headache and took a bunch of aspirin and a few shots of vodka. No more than 10 minutes later, his uncle appeared at the door. He explained the story to his uncle, who is now visiting from Russia, Ivan Petrosky. Ivan had completely forgot they were supposed to go to dinner at a strip club that evening. Ivan was outraged that Felix had let some amateur take advantage of him like that. He was pissed off and asked for all the data that Felix collected over the past two years. So headache or not, Felix scrambled to get all the data for his uncle. Ivan Petrosky did not have the opportunity to retire after the Vietnam War because he was promoted to a leadership position in the War Department and pretty much had free reign of a significant budget to do as he wished. He had a network of KGB agents that put pressure on immigrants in the U.S. to relay information back to Moscow he liked his position of power and hopefully soon his new life in sunny California. He started to work out in anticipation of the move. The crystal he had found stayed in his possession. When it had been pulled from his side, 
back in Cambodia. He knew it was something that was not of this world. He had it analyzed one too many times in Russia, and now he wanted it analyzed in the U.S. He kept the crystal close to him, and on many occasions he carried it in his coat pocket. So far, no scientist could determine its origins. After a few of them wanted to keep it or turn it over to the government, Ivan decided not to get it analyzed or expose it anymore. He was a devoted KGB, but now, with a chance to live part-time in the U.S., he decided it was best just to let it remain a secret for him to manage as he saw fit. There really was nothing more to find out from this Ernie Lopez, but he would still keep his ears open. Time went by, and he rarely talked with his nephew because his nephew was such a moron. At any rate, it seemed obvious to him that somehow the Americans had gotten a hold of some alien technology. They were coming out with too many ceramic and ceramic metal mixtures, plus other technologies, not human inventions. Now the Americans were pulling far ahead in a variety of new technologies. It was becoming a race by the spies of each other's countries to get at the American technology. It was beyond a game for monetary gain, and all the major nations knew it was a race they needed to excel at if they wanted to hold power. For Mark, he never wanted power, fame, or glory, not to say he had not acquired a lot of wealth. He may not be Mr. Kin, but in his own way, his savant abilities had led him to treasure not only that appeared rare in the normal cycles of the universe, but treasures of the mind. If there was a God, he never needed to look at Mark. Mark, George, and Ernie sat in the airplane that had now landed and was parked back in the hangar. They were all tired from the long day and from the events that unfolded. It was, it was getting dark outside now. It seemed the silence of the big hangar brought more calm to the situation. They were talking amongst each other and again proposing various questions and scenarios and and now they were not so emotional. George and Ernie were asking Mark a lot of questions about what he did with the CIA and Mark deflected the questions the best he could. He realized even though the two of them were his best friends, it would be smarter for him to keep his mouth shut. He had already said too much and he knew it. Okay, Look, guys, he said, the only real facts we have here are that the KGB, for some reason, has been watching Ernie for years. But even then, we are not sure it always been just them, maybe someone else is watching. And so I guess the only real fact we know is that Ernie saw a flying saucer in Vietnam and killed two Cambodians working for the CIA, or they were double agents. Maybe those Cambodians really were double agents, I don't think we really know, and I don't know if we're ever going to know, Mark said. I don't know what to think, but I just hope you didn't cause more problems for me by zapping that guy with your stun gun, Ernie replied. Well, I have something to propose to both of you, and it actually has nothing to do with any of this. I was hoping to bring it up when we were at the beach, but things got a little bit out of control, Mark said. Yeah, they got out of control because you had to confront that guy and cause a big scene, George chirped in. Okay, I'm sorry, maybe I did get a little too aggressive with him. Mark wanted George on board with his proposal, so he conceded the point. In a way, what I'm going to bring up may be a temporary solution. Actually, 
George and I have talked about it before, and I have done some research and thinking myself. You know what I'm talking about, right, George? George answered, you mean the business plan we talked about, right? George answered, yes, the business plan. Why don't you explain it to me then, Ernie, Mark said. I mean, Mark said to Ernie, first off, let me just say, this has been one crazy day. I just hope we don't have any more days like this. You know, it seems like whenever the three of us get together, trouble seems to come around. George replied, Things just are the way they are, Ernie said, looking at his watch and realizing he needed to get back home pretty soon or his wife was going to be pissed off. George continued, Mark and I have been looking into some very low-interest government financing for the fish farm project we have talked about for years. As you know, Ernie, even though you haven't come to see it yet, the pilot project up in Kern County is very successful so far. We've been able to show some good enough results that we are pretty close to getting a large, low-interest loan from the government so that we can expand. The problem until now has been finding a good enough location. There's not enough water up there on Mark's property in Kern County, and with the ongoing drought, I doubt we're going to find the needed acreage in California that has sufficient water rights. I did all the background checking, and if we expand, it has to be outside of California because of the water situation and because... The taxes are just getting too high. Mark and I have been looking for a good location, and last week we actually put in an offer on a property that we believe will be perfect. We should know in the next few days if our offer is accepted. If the offer is accepted, then the government is ready to write the check, and we are ready to go full speed ahead. Mark interjected, You both know I could probably finance the project myself, but I told George from the beginning that we should take advantage of the low-interest government loans, if we can get it, and, and now I think we can. I have an agreement with George that he can buy out my shares in the company as we get going and start making a good profit. George has done 90% of all the work, and I just put up the seed money and, and let him use my land. George continued, Let me get to the point, Ernie. The land is in New Mexico, about an hour from Albuquerque. It is near a small town called Socorro. We need someone to supervise the setup. I'm still working for FedEx, and I've got to do that until we get things going. Otherwise, I won't be able to make end meet. So Mark and I wanted to ask you if you would come in as a partner. Ernie needed to be getting home, or he knew his wife would be thinking he was out way too late drinking, even though he was completely sober. Now, thank guys, but you got the wrong person. I'm not leaving this area, and I don't know anything about fish farming, Ernie said quickly. Hold on, hold on, Ernie. You don't need to know that much about the actual fish farming. We need someone there to supervise the digging of the ponds and the construction of other operations. I will be coming there on a regular basis, and later I will be moving there myself. We just need someone there to get things started as soon as possible and to keep an eye on our interests. There will be a company contracted to do the work from the plans we have for them. We are asking you because you are a good friend and we need someone we can trust just to get the project started. I have to wrap up my employment contract with FedEx and Mark is off doing who knows what he's doing. It would be a really big favor for us and we would give you both a salary and an interest in the company. Seriously, it's just mainly for the summer and your kids 
We'll be out of school in the summer anyway. We'll, we will pay all the moving expenses. The land borders on a stream, and there's a fairly large ranch house on it with a few barns and, and other little buildings. George could see he was not getting too far with the proposal, so he looked at Mark, sort of wondering if he should just stop talking. To be continued... <laughs>